Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. And welcome back. Today we are talking with Missy Gallo, who rejoins me for our second podcast, There's More to the Core. And today we're going to talk about, well, the core. So Missy, tell us a little bit why you want to talk about this today. Yes, thanks for having me again. I'm very excited. I wanted to dive in deeper to uh, the topic of diastasis recti because it's just so complex and there's so many um, women out there that are confused by it and are not sure what to do during pregnancy and postpartum and what maybe might be making it worse, how they can restore it after birth. So I wanted to get into that topic. That sounds really cool because, you know, to be honest, I really don't know too much about diastasis recti. So is it cool if we call it D-R-A? Yes. So I can call it the D-R-A. The D-R-A. That is the slang term. All right. So we'll call diastasis recti D-R-A because it's a little bit of a mouthful. Yes, it is. So we're going to call it the D-R-A. So what is a D-R-A? And is it normal? Is it something you are going to, well, you tell me. Yeah. So a DRA is totally normal during pregnancy. It's basically, the definition is basically just the um, separation of that rectus abdominis muscle, which is the six pack muscle that runs down your midline. Um, so obviously as you grow through pregnancy, that is going to separate because your belly is growing as the baby grows. Mm-hmm. So totally normal to have one during pregnancy. And then the hope is that it will subside and kind of go away on its own. Or your core will kind of come back together. But every abdominal wall is different. And so some unfortunately do not come back together and that's when it can become a long-standing issue and need treated a little bit further. But about what point in pregnancy is it normal for the rectus abdominis muscles to start separating? Yeah, I would say like second and third trimester for sure. And, you know, we can't prevent it from happening, but there's definitely things we can do to prevent it from getting worse during pregnancy. So when I'm treating pregnant women, I kind of make them aware of what signs to look for for a DRA. So if they're having any of that abdominal coning or doming, which is the the common sign that you have that pressure coming through that rectus abdominis. So if they look down and they're like, oh yeah, when I get out of bed, I see a cone in my abdomen. I'm like, yes. So that is the separation. That's the pressure coming through. So we need to avoid things that cause that separation from furthering. So we train the transverse abdominis, which is the deep core muscle underneath that. And the more we can train that muscle through pregnancy and avoid things like bearing down, holding your breath, and exerting too much abdominal pressure, we can avoid making the diastasis worse through pregnancy. Does the amount of weight you gain have anything to do with that? Like if you gain more weight or I guess, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe you gain weight all over as opposed to just abdominally, but I don't know. I think it really depends how you carry. Um, I'm finding that the women that carry very outward obviously get bigger diastases and women that are shorter. Mm -hmm. So women that are really tall and have a long torso, the baby grows long. Whoever you are. (laughs) Whoever you are. (laughs) You're not me. So... It just, it depends. I don't think it necessarily depends on weight gain. I think it just is all about your ability to manage the pressure. Obviously, if you gain excessive weight, 
you probably are going to have a harder time maintaining good pressure because you're just not used to carrying around that much weight. So it's going to be more difficult to do day-to-day tasks in general. So that could have a, you know, direct relationship for sure. So then is it normal for almost every pregnancy to have, by definition, a DRA? Yeah. And then say you never did anything, you never listened to this podcast, your doctors didn't ever educate you, and if you never did anything postpartum, when would a DRA naturally normally heal? And I know that's a broad question, but... Mm -hmm. So I would say in the first typical fourth trimesters, you know, like the first, I don't know, three months. So if even after three to six months, you're still concerned and feeling like you're noticing that separation, that doming, I would say once it's been six months or longer, that's when we can say, okay, it's definitely not coming back together on its own. And we need to go ahead and start a rehabilitation process. So once it's been six months to a year, and then definitely once you're a couple years postpartum, we know that it's not going to just come together on its own. So we need to start that process. If someone has a particularly problematic DRA and they do never get it evaluated and Mm -hmm. they don't treat it properly, what will be the natural history of that? Some women have no symptoms with a DRA. They might just not enjoy aesthetically how it looks because it Mm -hmm. typically presents like you still have a little bit of that pooch belly, mm-hmm. that three-month pregnant-looking mm-hmm. belly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a common presentation. So aesthetically, it's probably the biggest thing that women complain about, but you can have symptoms with it. It can cause other things. So your low back pain, your chronic low back pain, your pelvic pain can all kind of be related to a DRA. If you can't uh, manage the internal pressure of the abdominal wall, you're going to start compensating and other problems are going to present. Got it. Yeah. So how do you diagnose it in the clinic? So the typical way to measure it is what they call interrecti distance. So you measure the distance with your fingers. However, uh, research now is showing that that's not super validating and the distance doesn't necessarily dictate function. So it's more about the depth in the tension of the linea alba. So the linea alba is that connective tissue in between the rectus abdominis, like the left and the right. So that line down the middle, which oftentimes gets a little bit dark Dark when you're pregnant. pregnant. Mm -hmm. So that dark line is your linea alba. That is the connective tissue. And it's really all about the integrity of that connective tissue and how much tension that connective tissue restores. So, you know, you could be three fingers width, Between the left and right? Between the left and right. So it's really putting your fingers deep down, like at the belly button. Mm -hmm. You have the patient kind of gently lift their head, and you feel for the edges of Mm -hmm. the left and the right rectus abdominis Mm -hmm. and see how much gap there is. Mm -hmm. And again, that space could not necessarily improve over time, but if the tension improves, so if you don't feel like you go as deep or if it gets you know more bounce to it instead of sinking in, that's when you're knowing that the integrity of that tissue is coming together. So that's really what you're looking for is the tensioning of that linea alba. Is there a way that you subjectively measure the tension or is it... That's difficult. Or do you just kind of know from the last time you examined the patient like mentally? Yeah. Okay. That's where it gets tricky because there's not a ton of research out there because it is very subjective in terms of 
objective measures. Yeah. One mind. thing you can look for too is the rib cage. So typical compensation is using the internal and external obliques instead of using their transverse abdominis. So if they are like quote unquote cheating and mm-hmm. they think they're turning on their transverse abdominis and they're really just using their obliques, you'll see the rib cage either flare or come in. Mm-hmm. So the rib cage will move in or out. So the rib cage will either come together left and right or they'll come apart left and right if they're using their obliques too much. Mm-hmm. So if they're using, if they're truly using their transverse abdominis, the rib cage shouldn't move too much. So that is a good indication if you're watching them breathe and you tell them to contract their transverse abdominis in their rib cage starts doing all kinds of funky things then you know that we got to go back we got to take a couple steps backwards and figure out what's going on because my favorite quote and i don't know who's whose quote it is but you can't train a muscle until you know where it is so you cannot strengthen a muscle if you can't find it so we have to really build the mind body connection back to that muscle group. So there's a process of that neuromuscular reeducation mm-hmm. before we can even start challenging it uh, and building strength. You're absolutely right. And as a patient of physical therapy, as your patient, mm-hmm. I've realized that that it takes a lot to build that brain map to where you know your where your muscles are, so that you can turn the right ones on. And yes. you would expect then that postpartum moms potentially do use their obliques a lot because I just yeah. think about carrying toddlers oh, putting, yeah. picking up toys like mm-hmm. carrying a toddler and picking up a toy and so exactly. we probably overuse those obliques and that's what keeps that yeah. DRA from from getting well healed because uh-huh. you're not keep turning your transverse abdominis on exactly so what's the difference between this and the hernia because this is a question I get a lot as a as a physician yeah so a hernia is definitely a, could be a result of a DRA. So the DRA is just that separation. And then we know that a DRA means you have a weakened connective tissue. So the hernia would be the result of that. If there is pressure coming through, that's when organs can come through. A typical hernia with a DRA would just be your umbilical hernia mm-hmm. or a typical abdominal hernia. Mm-hmm. So I do see women that have hernias in addition to a DRA. There's a direct relation there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that every DRA has a hernia. But I would say that every hernia likely has a DRA component. Yeah. So can so can men get this? Oh yes, ah. that's one of my favorite questions. I have gotten a couple referrals just from primary care physicians that are older men. It's just it's your typical pot belly. That's very stereotypical, but it's just mm-hmm. your typical pot belly. Well, it's like a pregnant belly. Older man. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I have so many men that don't know they have it. And they're like, oh, yeah, I was wondering why my belly always cones like this when mm-hmm. I sit up, sit up out of bed. And I'm like, well, it's just because you've you've gained a little bit of weight and you've lost that mind-body connection to mm-hmm. that deep core muscle. Mm-hmm. So totally, that's why a lot of men do get abdominal hernias. So I guess another question this begs is if you are postpartum, what happens to the postpartum mother who is three years out or four years out or then has another baby or et cetera, mm-hmm. and that DRA never was, you know, healed correctly in the first place? What right. happens if it never, you know, gets addressed? Mm-hmm. It's going to be those chronic problems, but is there anything else that, that you see that's concerning about it? Yeah, definitely. The more you can build that relationship with that transverse abdominus, it's going to make each 
subsequent pregnancy easier. So if you know you're on your first baby and you already have one postpartum and you're like, oh, I still want another kid or two more kids or, you know, I could be dealing with this for years. Mm-hmm. Don't ignore it. That's the perfect time to start training it because then as you go into your next pregnancy, you're going to be so much more knowledgeable and aware of that muscle group. It's going to help you tenfold through that next pregnancy and postpartum. So I think a lot of moms just think, oh, I'm going to get pregnant again. So I'm just going to, I'll just deal with this once I'm done Although having children. Kids are over, yeah. yeah. Like I'm going to wait for 10 years when mm-hmm. I'm 100% sure. Isn't that something women do? <laughs> yes. Just put themselves yes. on the Last, back burner. Yeah. Yep. So the sooner the better. And there's no, it's never too late though. So again, if you are 10 years postpartum, that's not, that doesn't mean there's no hope for you anymore. So was this when you taught me how to get out of bed? Like pregnant lady yep. getting out of bed? Yep. the blow before you go. Yeah. Yeah. Will you give us a couple of fun examples such as, well, yes. tell our listeners about the getting out of bed. So the blow before you go is a method that I learned from one of my Julie Weeb courses, who's a pelvic health physiotherapist out in California. And she talks about, you know, priming your system with breathing, which as we know, the the breath mechanics are huge in relationship to the core. So if you can prep your body by inhaling before movement and then use your exhale through the movement, that is basically what we mean when we say blow before you go. Got it. Makes perfect sense. So as you get out of bed, you would be exhaling and you know, once we've done a little bit of that transverse abdominus training, your brain should know that when you exhale, it's going to pull in transverse abdominus, it's going to pull in pelvic floor and help you transition in that movement. And, uh, and that will help avoid the coning mm-hmm. of the um, rectus abdominis. What are some other moves that pregnant ladies do? Pregnant ladies, pregnant uh, ladies. Us, us women who <laughs> bear children. What are some other moves that we, you tend to see that group do wrong? I'm trying to think of my own. Yeah. Bending over? Totally bending over. And especially if you already have children and you're pregnant, you're lifting toddlers, you're lifting car seats, mm-hmm. anything like that. I mean, if you you kind of get into a pattern of holding your breath and you don't even realize it. Right. So when you go to pick up something heavy, like a toddler or a car seat, you hold your breath. And then that starts to be like, oh, I'm going to pick up a pencil off the floor. I'm going to hold my breath too because my brain just starts to know to hold my breath. Mm -hmm. So you kind of just get into a pattern and you don't even realize it of poor breath mechanics and Mm -hmm. poor body mechanics. Mm -hmm. And then breath holding carries over to using them. Yeah. And even using the bathroom, bearing down. There's lots of constipation during pregnancy. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Mm. So bearing down is exerting abdominal pressure Mm -hmm. so every time you bear down you could be in a sense making your diastasis worse so total plug for magnesium 250 to 500 milligrams (laughs) at bedtime so that all kind of makes sense like absolutely reflecting on my second pregnancy i think that definitely contributed to a lot of the postpartum issues that i had but Mm -hmm. with all suffering comes good things so that's how Uh we met each other exactly yeah so In terms of exercising, what are some exercises that are safe? What are some things that you would say are kind of off limits in in your opinion? That's probably one of my most common questions is what exercises can I do and which ones shouldn't I do? And when should you do that? And when, yes. So it's obviously the answer is 
always it depends because everyone's different and one woman might be able to do sit-ups while the next woman can't and they could have the same dra it's all about how they can manage that inner abdominal pressure so i would say rule of thumb is just don't do something obviously that causes pain that's kind of a no-brainer mm. um, if you try to do an ab exercise like a plank or anything and you're like this just doesn't feel right it's too difficult for you. Mm -hmm. Like we got to scale back. Mm -hmm. The other rule of thumb is do not do an exercise if you do see that abdominal coning, mm -hmm. which for me was really difficult myself having a DRA was, I don't know if I'm coning because I have a shirt on or I'm moving fast and I can't see what I'm doing. So it does take getting out a mirror, getting out your video camera, recording yourself doing something or looking in the mirror, doing something with your shirt off so that you can actually see what is my abdominal wall doing during this exercise. Or going to active PT uh -huh. and getting diagnosed. Yes, definitely. Because we have to assess it. There's no just like formula. We can't just be like, right. yes, you can do planks and you can do this, but you can't do sit-ups. You can't do this. So it's all about that individual's level of fitness prior to, first of all. So every woman's prior level of function is going to be different, a CrossFitter versus a mom that doesn't exercise at all. But what I would say is I think across the board, there's lots of information out there for moms and that's why it gets so confusing you can google dra and you can find millions kind of, of exercises stuff. and then you kind of get lost and you're like well, i just don't know what to do so women get scared to exercise yeah so they just don't do anything don't do. and what we're finding is that there used to be these like hard fast rules of like no planking no ab mat sit-ups no this no burpees um if you have a dra but what we're finding is that you exert more abdominal pressure doing day-to-day -day tasks. Mm -hmm. So we have to train the system for that. Like yeah. picking up a car seat, like sneezing, coughing, those things use more inner abdominal More pressure, pressure. Yeah. than like a plank sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. we have to, we can't tell a mom that, you know, they can't do all of these challenging exercises because we're finding we yeah. need to do those exercises just to be Find able to out. do, yeah, yeah, to do your day-to-day -day I things. absolutely agree. That's like such an aha moment because mm -hmm. I feel like when you're going about your day-to-day -day life and you're a busy mom, you don't notice until the end of the day. But when you go to the gym and you yep. take 20 minutes for yourself and you do a burpee and you're like, ow, that hurt, mm -hmm. then it's kind of a signal that something isn't right. Exactly. But if you tell them never to exercise, then they might never know and yeah. it actually might, you know, worsen the problem. Right. Potentially. And one of the most common, I think, things that women do or even maybe physical therapists do to train the system is do exercises laying on their back. So when you're in the supine position, you have completely slacked that connective tissue. And so that transverse abdominis can't even contract enough to bring that tension on. The best example is like if you think of a rope between two poles mm -hmm. and then when you pull the poles apart, that rope is going to tension. Yep. Right? Yeah. So if you're laying on your back, you, that rope is completely slacked and you might not have the force to mm. tension it enough to even make progress. So I think that's kind of one of the ways where women are not making progress is they're doing all of their core exercises on their back. There's so much out there on social media and on the internet that you need to lay on your back and you need to do marches and you need to do just these very basic 
supine exercises and we're not challenging the connective tissue enough in that position. We have to get upright and we have to get against gravity because that's how we live. Yeah, and then you go and pick lives. up your yeah. your toddler and yeah. boom. Right. That's really fascinating mm-hmm. actually. There is a place for the back. I'm not to say, you know, we have to start somewhere. So to build that mind-body connection, we might have to start in that supine position. But once we build that connection, got to get upright. So do you recommend sort of starting this journey six weeks postpartum, 12 weeks postpartum? Mm-hmm. I know you kind of alluded to the fourth trimester. Right. When's that? When's the optimal time? Yeah, I mean, optimal time would be as soon as you're cleared by your OBGYN or midwife or whoever, you know, if you've had a C-section, potentially waiting that eight weeks. If you're vaginal delivery and it was no complications, six weeks, you can totally start retraining this muscle group. Um, and that's the best part about it is that building this mind-body connection can start so early. And if you are already training it during pregnancy, it's going to like click and it's going to yeah. come back so much faster. Is there such thing as educating women even before they get pregnant, even if it is their first pregnancy? Or is that oh, just... Definitely. There is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty pre- See, that's really preventative. Yep. And something that I wouldn't have thought about if I hadn't had children myself. Mm-hmm. So we need to still do more educating. Yes. And and really, it seems like most things, the key is really in preventing. Maybe not so much because we mentioned that it's natural that you'll have that diastasis recti, but also just the education component of how to exist as a pregnant person. What about a DRA if you've never been pregnant? We we talked about overweight males, but what about a DRA if you've... Same. Overweight women. Yeah. I mean, they could definitely have one. Anyone that loses that mind-body connection, essentially, and starts to have low back pain. I mean, the transverse abdominus muscle is so important for everybody. So retraining that muscle group in any patient is usually where you should start, even if it's a patient presenting with shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. Like, we got to get the foundation there. So the core is always my go-to. And breath mechanics are so big. Mm -hmm. And I can always justify that the rib cage is connected to the shoulder, is connected to the core. You know, when you're looking at social media, what are some of the biggest myths that, like, irk you to the core? Mm. Besides where we talked about laying on your back. Yeah, laying on the back really gets me. And then what gets me, too, is that women think they just need to lose more weight if they still have that postpartum belly. Ah, yeah. And you could lose all of your baby weight. You know, I see lots of women that are so thin that still have just that little pooch belly and that that's what they complain about is like i just feel like i've i'm i'm back where i need to be but this belly will not go away and the belly is never going to go away until you learn how to build that muscle group so the transverse abdominus the function of that muscle is to flatten the abdominal wall Mm -hmm. and if you can't turn it on you're always going to have like that bottom out pooch Mm -hmm. so that's just like a sign of poor management of that inner abdominal pressure so even a a good sign is that kink in the upper abs so even when you see a very shredded woman with a six-pack if they have that kink in the upper abdomen and then it like bulges out a little bit underneath that's kind of where you know that they don't have a great mind-body connection to that like middle and lower transverse abdominus they have a good sense of the upper Mm -hmm. and that usually happens postpartum as well because you're you grow more mid and lower like belly button and down yeah so you lose the connection kind of of that mid to lower transverse abdominus 
when is surgery indicated, if ever? I would say if it is, you know, it used to be based on that interrectal distance. Oh, if you are like six finger gap, like you need surgery. And those huge gaps like do exist. And so it might be indicated in that case. But I would say like you got to give yourself at least a year or two of like dedicated rehab with a postpartum or women's health physical therapist. See if you can get it back together before you do surgery. Obviously, if you have a hernia, you might need to address that, especially if it's painful. You might need to have um, a hernia surgery beforehand. So a lot of women that get hernias through pregnancy, they will have a surgery for that postpartum. But if it's just the diastasis recti, I would highly recommend, in my opinion, waiting a year or two and really trying to rehabilitate it before you go ahead with that surgery. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of patients that are just kind of fed up and I had one patient that kind of wanted to do a tummy tuck as well. So she kind of just went ahead and let the plastic surgeon close her DRA. Might as well, while you're in there, do a little tummy tuck. Mm-hmm. It kind of just depends if you're willing to put in the hard work because it can be frustrating. It can take a long time. It can take a couple years. I mean, I'm still working on mine. I'm 16 months postpartum. And it's been a long 16 months. And sometimes some months you feel like you're not making progress and you get frustrated and you look in the mirror, especially after you've had a big meal and you're like, God, I still look pregnant and I still have this little belly. Like what is going on? So you get deflated and you're like, okay, I'm just going to keep working. But it takes, it takes a lot of time. So I just wouldn't rush to, to surgery. I would also imagine if you have surgery, what are the chances that that DRA is going to come back pretty soon if you don't know how to use your, you don't know how to breathe, right? The surgery is not going to fix the fact that you don't know where that muscle is and how to train it. I I would imagine the rates of recurrence are probably pretty high, although I I don't know, but I would guess. I mean, I totally think surgery has a place. And if a woman is struggling mentally with her body image and cannot get it to close and needs to use surgery and and feels better about herself because of it, you know, that's, that's each woman's decision. So my last question for you is if you are postpartum and your DRA isn't too bad, but you go aggressively at the gym, (laughs) is there a chance you're going to make it worse? Yes. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, even if you don't have, a bad DRA. Like I said, everyone has one during pregnancy and you may be closing just fine on your own, but that doesn't mean that your core is back to 100%. So if you don't have, again, that connection to that transverse abdominis and you go full throttle back at the gym because you're, everything feels good, you had no complications, vaginal delivery, no minimal tearing, and you go full force, that muscle group is still not working for you very well. So other muscle groups are going to take over. Your brain is so good at just finding a new map and finding a new way. Mm -hmm. So that's why moms are so great at just functioning through life Mm because we're just, we just find new ways to do things. Yeah. And then it's not until (laughs) you're, you know, you're in your late 40s or your 50s that you realize you have a lot of chronic pain. Right. I see it all. That's what I see all the time. Yeah. Those menopausal women with all the pain. Yeah. 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 What are some of the last comments you want to leave for our listeners about DRA? I guess just knowing that every 
woman's abdominal wall is different. So if you have a three-finger gap and the next person has a three-finger gap, they can look totally different. And you can't compare yourself to others. Every abdominal wall is unique and the tension and the tissue is all unique to you. So everyone's skin and connective tissue heals differently. So it might take you longer than another woman. So you really have to individualize each person's plan of care. That's why finding a protocol on the internet might not necessarily be working. So a lot of my moms that come in, they're like, you know, I've tried just following this website that I found. It was for moms to build their core back up and it's just not working for me because we just have to individualize it. And every woman has different needs and they have a different lifestyle. So we kind of got to like figure out what their brain knows and, and how we can tap back into that system. Yeah, that's probably what makes the difference between having a professional help you and doing yeah. it on your own. And it's hard if you don't have access or if you don't have yeah, resources. Exactly. But in um, time, in moms time, are busy. Man. Moms are busy. <laughs> but if we don't make time yeah. what, for these types of measures, it will catch up to us. And we're going to have to make up that time a right. lot more. We're going to have to invest, you know, by investing in ourselves now, we're really keeping a, a lot of things in place for us to be way better in our 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond. Yes, totally agree. Uh-huh. Well, um, Missy works at Active PT in Columbus, Ohio. And yes. if you don't have a Missy locally, then hopefully you have some other resources. Yes. Um, do you guys have, you know, as physical therapists or who do pelvic floor physical therapy, is there like a core, what am I trying to say? Like a place someone could go to find someone or do yeah, they have it can to go be to their challenging. Or? It can be very challenging. There's the, the section on women's health through the National Physical Therapy Association is pretty great. And you can do a search on there to find a women's health specialist. But again, that can also be confusing. Like what it like, I am not technically a women's health certified specialist. So I'm not certified to do any internal work, Mm -hmm. meaning internal pelvic exams. Mm -hmm. Everyone on that website has been certified. And that's why they're credentialed through that website. So you can find someone on there, which you know, will be certified to do internal checks Mm -hmm. but it also kind of just takes a little bit of research googling Mm -hmm. in your area like Mm -hmm. google women's health physical therapy in your uh area and hopefully you've done enough in your area that you can find a good resource yeah and if you don't you know be proactive talk with your physicians ask for referrals if Mm -hmm. needed hopefully your your obgyn has a referral you know source of some kind for sure, or your primary care doctor. We're trying to get in more to those those types of people so that they, they know where to refer people. So it's yeah. great to have them on board. Yeah. So we want you to stay proactive. We want you to stay excited. We want you to stay invested in you and your health. So that's all I guess for today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always. And we'll probably come up with something else to talk about. So if you, oh, sure. if you have any questions about this, please let us know. If you like this podcast, Make sure you share it with your friends. Make sure you give us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast so that we can spread the word about women's health, women's physical therapy, all the stuff that you can find on my website or on Missy's website. And I'll link all of that below because we need your help to spread the knowledge. um, The knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's more to the core. Yes. And there's more to women's health than just getting pregnant. So (laughs) we hope you enjoy this and have a wonderful rest of your day or your evening.